The Athletic. Totally Football Show. Today, Premier League Match Day 3 review. Newcastle Man City, two teams that are more flush than the water at your local beach, clash in a Premier League classic. Meanwhile, in other British seaside parallels, is Thomas Tuchel now swimming in dangerous waters? And Casemiro at Man United, is he facing a massive job? We round up all of the weekend's news and more in this Totally Football Show. Monday, 22nd of August, and here we go, listener. Thanks for joining us. We've got Daniel's story for you today from The Eye. Hello, Daniel. Good morning, James. Tom Williams, you may have seen his work in The Athletic. Good morning, James. Good morning to you, Tom. And of Pickfair and Uncle Jeff's nephew fame, Benji Lanyardo. Jimbo, how you doing? Yeah, pretty good, thank you. More to the point, how are West Ham, Benji? Here's Corky Romano fan account saying, Benji, how f***ed are we? (laughs) (laughs) Corky, calm down. Three games in, and as Amazon Prime has taught us, it's entirely possible to just miss out on Champions League football after uh, losing your first three games. So don't worry. Mm. Tell you what, it's been a terrific weekend. Tom, you're in Paris, I imagine, aren't you? I'm indeed, yes, yes. Uh, uh, oui. what's, what's the view from Paris? How are your friends at Canal Plus enjoying the uh, terrific, terrific Premier League action? Oh, we had a great day yesterday. Um, Leeds Chelsea, one of the first big turn ups of the season, and then at a potentially even more raucous St James's Park, the game of the season so far, probably the game of the year so far, with the you know, obvious caveat that, that both. Newcastle United and Manchester City are um, playthings for uh, regimes we perhaps would rather had not invested in English football. But that said, an absolutely spectacular afternoon um, and a really enjoyable game of football. So yeah, lots of um, lots of fun was had in the Canal Plus studio yesterday. Excellent. All right, uh, Daniel, can we look at the table yet? No, six games. Six. Yeah, six games is the only the only fair time. Uh, why are the first 18 points of the season in some way not relevant, Daniel? I think partly because te- teams need time to settle and show us what they actually are and partly because that gives you a couple of games after the end of the transfer window for things to be slightly more fully formed. Boo. All right, let's hear some scores in the meantime then. Saturday, Harry Kane's 250th goal for Spurs. His eighth in August, in case you're wondering. Saw... A sluggish Tottenham side past Wolves, 1-0. In the three o'clock, Fulham won their first ever top-flight meeting with Brentford, 3-2. At Goodison, Everton took their first point of the season in a 1-1 draw with Forrest. There were comeback wins for Saints from a goal down to a 2-1 victory at Leicester and Palace from a goal down to a 3-1 win against Aston Villa. And then Saturday evening, Arsenal had fans singing tequila while their team had plenty of shots in a 3-0 win over the Cherries. Sunday, Brighton won 2-0 at West Ham. Marsh attacks as Leeds beat Chelsea 3-0 and the meeting of Newcastle and Man City. Well, let's talk about that next. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. De Bruyne and an opportunity that's taken by Manchester City. Bernardo Silva. Newcastle 3, Man City 3. The two teams that hadn't conceded prior to this weekend, of course, combining for a six-goal thriller. Uh, tweets by Phil says, "Are Newcastle United for real?" 
I think I think they probably are for real. Yes, there seems to be a confidence within that team that we've seen Manchester City go one nil up on on teams before, and it, it kind of throttles and suffocates the match. And it seemed that largely due to one or two Alan San Maximum runs, it seemed to completely shift the mood within St James's. And I think it you know it is a cliche to say, it, but I think it's also true that when that crowd really gets up, and I think we saw the same with Leeds Chelsea they can drag a team on and they really do make a difference. And, you know, Sam Axman had one of those halves where you think he must be the best winger in world football. And that seems to kind of bleed this energy to the players around him. And, um, I mean, it was a mad game. They were both annoyed they didn't hold on to a lead and probably very happy that they held on for a point. But, yeah, for the neutral, it was, as Tom says, probably the game of the year so far. Mm. Coming from behind against City, not easy to do. They only dropped two points from a winning position in the whole of last season. And bingo, they did it Sunday at St. James's. Tom, a lot of love for the ever-eye-catching Alan San Maximan with his two assists. Also for Nick Pope and his seven saves. What about Miguel Almiron recovering a bit of pride after uh, the uh, some of the unfortunate and uncalled-for remarks by one of Man City's players at the end of last season on his behalf? Yeah, it was a shame that Jack Grealish wasn't there uh, after his um, complete drive-by of a, a slur um, aimed at Almiron when he was half-cut on the Man City uh, title podium last season. Uh, and Almiron does not strike me as the sort of player who would ever you know, run and celebrate in an opponent's face. But I did notice a picture on Twitter this morning of him handing over a shirt to a Newcastle mm. fan who'd held up a sign saying... Miggy, can Jack Grealish have your shirt? So I think that's probably about as antagonistic as you're gonna <laughs> you're gonna get from Almiron. But yeah, I mean, it, it felt like a really, really positive afternoon for Newcastle, and you know, for all the uh, entirely legitimate reservations that we have about their owners, that's what we want to see from Newcastle. You want to see the stadium full. You want to see that synergy between the fans and and the team. And I think I think part of the feel good factor comes from the fact that they have, despite the vast resources at their disposal grown the team in, in what feels quite an organic way. They haven't just gone out and, and bought a bunch of superstars. You look at the team they put out yesterday and apart from Nick Pope and, and Sven Botman, it was it was the same players from last season, including players like, you know, Joel Inton, who's been absolutely transformed by by Eddie Howe, you know, Almiron, who seems to have got a bit more confidence. Uh, I thought Callum Wilson took his goal fantastically again. Um, and you know, it, it does feel like Newcastle have arrived now. It felt to me, okay, they didn't hold on for, for the victory, but it felt like the first time that Newcastle have really kind of commanded the attention in a big game against one of the Premier League's big teams. And I think we're, I think we're probably going to have to get used to, to seeing that sort of thing from them um, over the rest of the season and, and beyond. Mm. Callum Wilson with the second of their goals to take the lead and a brilliant finish, as you say. Later taken off for, in quotation marks, a tight hamstring, which is slightly a uh, worrying note for Newcastle fans. Their third goal, giving them a, a momentary 3-1 lead, came from Kieran Trippier. An absolute rocket. And he's now taken, how about this for a stat, four direct free kicks for Newcastle and scored three of them. Well, there you go. So they were 3-1 up. Ten minutes later, though, they weren't. It was 3-3 because City. Mm. And because of Kevin De Bruyne playing a a kind of sort of version of expert-level Frogger with his through balls, where he's kind of nutmegs one player, somehow forces Sven Botman, who's a very capable defender, to to run sort of towards the ball, sort of in the vague direction parallel to it. And, and Bernardo Silva has kind of ghosted him behind. And I think in that goal, we saw 
what we spoke about last week, which is that Haaland effect of defenders being drawn towards Haaland whenever there's a through ball from Kevin De Bruyne, kind of forgetting that there's probably at least one and normally two City players making this very gentle arcing run around the the, the back line and, and suddenly being in five yards of space. We saw, we've seen it with, with Gundogan, Foden and now Bernardo Silva in the last two games combined and that is going to be incredibly dangerous for teams because it's so hard to stop that run from from out to in from a, an attacking midfielder because the, the fullback can't go with them and the centre-back is already looking at Haaland thinking, well, there needs to be two of us to stop this. Uh, it was a, a glorious pass from Kevin De Bruyne and we, we kind of seem to say this at the start of every season when he, he starts like a train that at some point he's going to break the Premier League assist record. Maybe this is the season. Well, Duncan's got two players uh, doing it and I imagine that uh, that's his prediction for this season. I imagine that KDB is one of them. Holland has now contributed two goals and assist and then another goal in his three Premier League appearances without ever fully convincing the critics. So Lord knows what it'd be like when he fully gets going. Bernardo Silva then with the uh, 3-3. On the subject of the Trippier decision, Jimmy Carragher saying that Trippier tackle is going to be red in the future. not a leg breaker. Why should a player be able to take someone out of knee height with no intention of winning the ball? Here's a suggestion, though, from Edgar Tollworthy. Hello, Edgar. says, if we don't think Trippier's tackle should be uh, just a red, would the game be better if every player was allowed to shout stop once per game at the cost of a yellow card and the game restarted then with an opposition free kick? Same result, no risk of injury. I like it, Edgar. I like it. Anyway... Two points dropped. Ooh, hello, Benji. I, I just want to say, I have always felt that there is room for something in between a yellow and a red card, because that's Ooh. exactly what I felt that that Trippier uh, challenge deserved. What kind of sanction would that bring with it, though? If a red sends you off? So, yellow card, and but that yeah. player has to spend 10 minutes off the pitch. How about that? Like, Or they seem- can only kick the ball with their weak foot um, for 15 minutes. Yeah, that's better. Um, or Maybe they have shirt, both their legs tied together. Right. Now you're getting silly. <laughs> I mean, I, I, the idea of Simbins, in theory, attracts me. But then I think, does it just bring a whole new level of, I can't believe you thought that was an orange, rather than I can't believe you thought that was a red mm. slash yellow. I just, I'm not sure we need more potential controversy around referees at the moment. Two points dropped for Man City unusually enough from a winning position. So now, Monday night at Old Trafford, Liverpool with the opportunity to narrow the gap when they visit Manchester United Monday night at Old Trafford. Woof. One of this season's marquee fixtures, of course. It's also an occasion which may see United unveil their brand new signing. And what a signing. Casemiro. £70 million. He's 30 years old. He's won the Champions League five times, by the way. Excuse me. And he leaves Spanish champions Real Madrid for a side currently in a relegation battle. Hmm. Will it work out? Let's get a view from Totally's Liga expert, Alvaro Romeo, next. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, and now ad-free on The Athletic, this is The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Carl Anker, they finally signed a DM. Casemiro going to Manchester United. How good a fit is this? Alvaro Romeo joins us now. Alvaro, uh, hello there. You've seen a lot of Manchester United. You've seen a lot of Casemiro. How good a fit is this? 
I think that he's going to be a very good fit for Manchester United because uh, nothing makes me think that he's going to flop um, in the Premier League. At the end of the day, this is a proven player with plenty of uh, pedigree, not only in La Liga, but in high-profile games as well, uh, especially in the Champions League. He has always delivered. And, um, you know, for many years, when people ask me about Real Madrid and I had to deliver a professional answer, sometimes I couldn't uh, because it was inexplicable that Real Madrid could turn up and switch for the big nights. Um, sometimes they were uh, falling and losing La Liga by 15, 10 points to Barcelona and still win the Champions League. And I do believe that Casemiro was one of the players who could trigger this very strange phenomenon. I mean, when it came to the big moments, Casemiro and Real Madrid managed to turn up. And probably Manchester United will have many, many big moments ahead of them. There is a strong big six in the Premier League, plenty of uh, big high-profile games to play. And I think Casemiro is going to be uh, one of those players who is going to deliver for Manchester United because he is an expert player. And this is very important. Real Madrid based their success on having very expert people for the key moments. And Casemiro is one of them. What does he specifically add, Alvaro? I think that what he's going to add is, uh, number one, an expertise of the position. He is a player who is a specialist uh, in his role. His holding game is very good. He's not bad on the ball at all. He is uh, basically racing to the challenge every time the challenge gets bigger. And um, he is going to add competitiveness as well. And competitiveness is not only about running and about being good on the ball, but also about surviving very well in the border between the yellow card and the red card, something that Casemiro does very well because he has been booked endless times, but he has only been sent off twice in, uh, in La Liga or at his time at Real Madrid. Um, his um, control of the game is very good. Sometimes uh, he knows how to slow down the tempo of the game. He's basically reaching everywhere. Even if he's tired, uh, he manages to run the extra mile and get wherever the game needs and wherever the ball is. So I think that all these qualities will make him a very good Manchester United player. Basically, as I said before, is the expertise in a, in a position and the competitiveness. I think that he is far better at it than uh, McTominay and let alone Fred. So yes, uh, this is a high upgrade for Manchester United. And, um, you know, I think that uh, for the first time in a long time, Manchester United got themselves a player who is still at the peak of his career because he's only 30 years old. And I have no reason to think that Casemiro is going to wane or fade away over the last two or three years. Brilliant stuff, Alvaro. Well, we look forward to seeing him in action soon. Look forward to speaking to you again on Tuesday's Totally Football Show when we do the continent. Excellent. Thank you. Alvaro Romeo. Alvaro is saying he's only 30. A lot of people have pointed to his age as a potential question, but he has got a pretty faultless record of being injury-free, which is uh, very much a positive. A lot of comparisons, Daniel, have seen, uh, well, Schweinsteiger cited, another 30-year-old midfielder who Man United bought with fanfare who didn't work out. But uh, other people pointed to the likes of Makaleli. Who didn't do too bad, says John Morgan, as a DM when he signed for Chelsea as a 30-year-old from Real Madrid. Hmm. No, I mean, I mean, I think the difference is that, you know, I've seen Thiago Alcantara and, and yes, Makaleli mentioned. The, the difference, I think, there is that they were coming into a side close to, if not at, the peak of its powers. The slight jarring for me is that all summer, Eric Ten Hag and the club itself have talked about the need for a three-year rebuild, that this is going to take three years to get Manchester United back to where they want to be. And whether that's 
even competing for top four, which at the start of this season, it seems like it might be, or whether it's competing for the title, we will find out. The jar for me is that you're you're signing a player that when you get to the end of that three-year rebuild, when you're ready to, to push for those higher places to, to fulfil your potential, you then have a player on £380,000 a week who is 33. And therefore, you then need to re- you know you need to replace him the reason to go for de jong is that when you got to that stage de jong would be settled in the team he would be the mm. anchor he'd be the kind of pivot around which everything else was built in that team and he would still be an age where that made sense oh, maybe de jong can come in 3 years time if barcelona have finished selling off their <laughs> their, their, their their future uh, I, I have to say i have to say he may be 30 but 5 champions league victories and every time he's in the real madrid side they just look like a completely different team if you're a Man United fan this is such a brilliant signing Tom yeah the only baffling thing about this this deal for me is how United have got here how do you start off looking at Frankie de Jong and then decide to have a look at Adrian Rabiot and then end up signing in Casemiro one of the leading sort of number six holding midfielders of the last five or six years of, of European football I mean yes obviously 70 million pounds is a lot to spend on a 30 year old but in terms of his profile his skill set his experience his his know-how he's exactly the sort of player who United need um, in, in that part of the pitch um, I mean it's it's it will be a big challenge for him to single-handedly bring serenity uh, to this team that has been entirely bereft of serenity for some time and particularly in, in midfield where, where they've been over, all over the shop for, for such a long time but it, it feels like this is the sort of signing United should have made five or six years ago United fans have been crying out for specifically this sort of player for a long time um, I think you know you, you can go back to when was the last time United had a, a, a really um, accomplished holding midfield I mean you almost have to go back as far as someone like Michael Carrick um, which is over a decade ago Um, so yeah the the right piece of business at a big price but it will probably take more than that to to get United uh, where they need to get to Right 70 million is a lot even more than Morgan Gibbs White but not as much as the 100 million which apparently Man United oh dear are about to spend on on Anthony or Anthony as some people like out of Ajax Mm. The, the other thing that kind of jars me with this is that why you sort of almost want to shake Casemiro and say you do know what Manchester United are at the moment. It's yeah. a, I mean, yes, there is a there, there will be an ego, and it goes the same with managers. Like, why would you go there when it's become a managerial graveyard? And it's well, I want to be the one that is seen to have changed that, and there's a huge ego with that. Casemiro doesn't naturally strike as a particularly egotistical player, but you kind of want to say what what are you hope for here you've gone from the Champions League winners to uh, I know the money's good but the money was pretty good at Real Madrid he might quite equally be somebody who is just built for success and one of the reasons they've won so much is because he is somebody who always wants to succeed and excel and he's arriving at a big club and he want to perform for them I, I agree there is always that risk but I, I, I can't see I must admit I'm surprised that people aren't happier for United with this although we will miss them in the banter section of the bus it did tickle me that um, we're told that it was a, a, a chat with Raphael Varane that persuaded him to move. And I kind of thought, have I missed the last 12 months of Manchester United? Anyway, maybe it'll work yeah, It's out. probably like, yes, they'll pay you that much. <laughs> maybe we're looking at this the wrong way. If you look at, like, you know, a, a footballer and his accomplishments and what he sets out to achieve in his career, 
Sure, you can win five Champions Leagues. If you're Rafa Varane, you can win the World Cup. But is there any greater challenge in world football? Is there any mm. higher height than making Man United good at football again? Maybe that's, you know, we need to actually reevaluate the way that we kind of compare uh, objectives. And, and maybe for the likes of Varane and Casemiro, transforming Man United from a laughing stock into something halfway resembling a decent football club is actually as big a challenge as you can get. Mm. Benji, do you want a last word on this? No, I just think it's going to be a flop. I don't think it's going to work. I think that ultimately the Premier League is a step up from, from La Liga at the moment. So he's going to have to find a new gear and it feels like he, it's like Schweinsteiger. He was just at the exact inflection point where he was remaining a good player but on his way down. And yeah, I, I just I can't see it being a particularly good use of £70 million, to be honest. Hmm. Interesting. Time, as ever, will tell. Meantime, Man United will be facing Liverpool Monday night. We'll have uh, some reaction, I think, to that in our Euro show on Tuesday, unusually with James, Jules, Rafa and Alvaro, of course. We'll also be covering plenty of other big continental stories like Lille PSG Sunday night, Christophe Gauthier against his former side and uh, Messi and Mbappé bearing the uh, hatchet to the extent that they combined for the first goal after just nine seconds of action. Uh, there was also uh, remarkable stuff in the Bundesliga, Dortmund's extraordinary last-minute collapse and Bayern Munich scoring almost as many goals in one game as City A managed in the entire weekend so far. So, mm, yeah, anyway, uh, look out for that on Tuesday. Next up for us, terrific fun at Ellen Road. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. We're sponsored for this episode of The Totally Football Show by Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform helping you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify's there to help you grow. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, which is up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. Plus, you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And what's more, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 support is there to help your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Now, because you listen to The Totally Football Show, you can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash totally, all in lowercase. So go to shopify.com slash totally to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. That's S-H-O-P-I-F-Y dot com slash totally. We're all driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. You can use Indeed for scheduling, screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. According to their own survey, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. Remember the last time you were hiring and how slow and overwhelming it was? Well, you don't need to go through all that again. 
Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent. And because you listen to the Totally Football Show, Indeed is going to give you a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Totally. That's I-N-D-E-E-D.com slash Totally. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed at Indeed.com. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Plenty arriving in the box for Leeds now. James looks up, plays the ball into the middle. Harrison, Rodrigo, Harrison! Jack Harrison from close range turns the ball in and Leeds United are in dreamland here. Leeds 3, Chelsea 0. What a, what a great start it's been for Jesse Marsh's side. Major Leeds soccer, as some people were dubbing this, uh, featuring this game as it did an American player scoring for an American manager in the in the Premier League for the first time in the division's history. Wow. Seven points from Prosper 9, third in the table. Boom. Yeah, they are looking very, very good and they're looking very, very Jesse Marsh football as well, what he promised. He, he's been saying all summer that he understands that there were frustrations from Leeds fans. He understands that there was resentment about Marcelo Bielsa leaving but that last season was purely about survival and that you wouldn't see his football until this season. One one thing he has done, partly out of necessity, given the departures, but more than any other manager in the Premier League, maybe other than Forrest because they've had no choice, he, he's put his new signings in the team. You know, Brendan Aronson has been a star. Uh, Tyler Adams and, and Mark Rocker have, have played as a central midfield combination and absolutely swamped Chelsea yesterday. I thought the most bizarre element of the match was that Chelsea got completely bullied in central midfield and then Thomas Tuchel took off both of his midfielders and played, played Ruben Loftus-Cheek as a one-man band there. And they looked even more forlorn because of it. Um, there is an intensity to Leeds without the ball that I think supporters probably feared had, had, had they'd lost when, when Bielsa left. But... I watched them on the opening day of the season and they were pretty poor against Wolves and the improvement from that to yesterday is is night and day. And, and Daniel, Daniel's on the money about the, the, the centre mid issue because it used to be almost exactly the opposite way around. One of the problems Leeds have when they came up is, is that Calvin Phillips was sort of expected to be a one-man double pivot. He was he was the Yorkshire Pirlo and then Bielsa realised he, need he, need, he actually needed a sort of a Yorkshire Gattuso. And so fr- frequently they would get bullied in, in, in that area and swamped and lose. And, and it's not rocket science. Jesse Masters realised, OK, we're going to replace one player with two. And Daniel's right. Rocker and Tyler Adams have just fitted right in there. Um, and, they, and they seem structurally a much more sensible side. They make sense now. Mm. And I think that Chelsea midfield was probably a perfect storm from a Leeds perspective in that, you know, we know how much industry, how much running there is in that Leeds midfield. Chelsea going into that game without both N'Golo Conte and Mateo Kovacic... I think showed what once again that they can they can sometimes get away without having one of those players in the starting eleven, but they really struggle when they don't have both. Um, we have wondered and speculated as to how uh, Conor Gallagher might fit into this team, and, and he got his opportunity yesterday. But I mean, even on paper, a midfield of Conor Gallagher, Jorginho, and, and Mason Mount, as, as, as hardworking as, as Mason Mount is, um, is, is always going to struggle against against the sort of the sort of challenge that, that Leeds presented. Um, and it's you know it's unfortunate that, that Gallagher, who was making his first ever Chelsea start, um, you know, ended up doing so in those circumstances because yeah, as the boys have said, they got. They got completely overrun, um, and yeah, I think 
teams who are supposed title challengers, even if none of us necessarily expect Chelsea to to push Liverpool and City all the way, um, you know, should should not be losing games in that manner. I mean, I guess you know you point to the Edouard Mendy mistake that that kind of opened the floodgates um mm. for all the new faces in in the team it, it, it did feel like a very stale performance let's point to the opening goal because it, it was described as a, a gift in commentary and certainly it was a, an edward mendy mistake but it was also fruit of the extraordinary pressure that leads and in this case brendan aronson uh was putting uh were putting their visitors under. Aronson with a delicious no-look finish as well. What, what a yes. way to open your Leeds account. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Uh, yeah, I mean, it just shows that that mistake, as you say, the energy of Leeds, but also I think when a player's running you at pace, it shows as a goalkeeper, you need to know what you're going to do before the ball gets to you. And it looked like Aronson knew what Mendy was going to do yeah, before. because he, he tried it once and got away with it. Uh, and Men, Mendy stupidly tried it a second time should clearly have just cleared it long but I think just didn't know what he was going to do when the ball was coming to him and was surprised by how quickly Aronson was running at him Aronson by the way I mean he talked to Chelsea yesterday he made Kaladu Koulibaly look so flat-footed for the for the yellow card uh, in the first half he, he has this ability to drive from deep that Leeds didn't really have before. Rafinha used to do it from wide, but he dry, he, he drops down into the, into, you know, the centre circle and just drives on from there and was finding so much space in doing that. I think the only thing the only thing Leeds needed to do was to get players up with him because there was times where he was almost running beyond every one of his teammates with the ball. If he keeps that up, he's a, he's a steal. You know, I was, I was a little bit unsure about that signing. It felt a bit too good to be true, you know, player in the Red Bull system, player the manager knows, player the same nationality as the manager. But yeah, he looks a heck of a prospect in the first three games. Just going to quickly say that Chelsea definitely looked like they could do with a bit of Wesley Fofana recovery pace. Mm. Um, I think that they're as, as brilliant as we as we know Silva and Koulibaly are, or certainly have been, they've got to get some pace into that back line. Otherwise, other teams will do the same thing to them as Leeds did yesterday. Also with Mendy, like I'm, I'm, I'm team, team Sasha Gurionov on this. I think he's a bit of a wrongman. Like oh. he he was named like the, the the best keeper in the world last year, and yet he seems to he seems to make bad decisions quite frequently. I, I would be unsurprised if over the next two seasons they they, they replace him. All right, we've got Kepper waiting in the wings, of course. Leeds <laughs> anyway with a three nil victory. Second goal. Remember they were missing Patrick Bamford, but <laughs> uh, Rodrigo chipping in with his fourth goal in three games, and then uh, Jack Harrison, who's also assisted uh, a Rodrigo for. a a goal in every game so far this season came up with the third. Benji, I, I also I spare a thought for for Calvin Phillips sitting on the on the City bench. I, I sort of I worry that that's going to become one of the, those kind of great career-ending transfers, a la Danny Drinkwater or Sean Wright Phillips to City. I just, he's played one minute so far this year, and Pep made one sub yesterday. I just I can't see him getting much game time. And meanwhile, <laughs> over at Leeds, they finally like fixed all of the problems that were like whirling around him for for two seasons. Um, yeah, I, I don't think he'll go to he, he can't go to Qatar if he if he's just sitting on City's bench, can he? I, I mean, I don't know. I tell you what, I found remarkable though about this game was half time uh, when they mentioned that Chelsea in the history of the Premier League had never come come back from two nil down in a game. To Extraordinary. Win. Thought it's it's now forty six occasions that they've had a two nil uh, deficit at half time and they've never once come back to win. Mm-hmm. In in what, thirty years of Premier League? Yeah. 
That is true. I suppose. I mean, I suppose forty-six times in thirty years is not that yeah, many. Yeah, but you think maybe, only three draws in there. Yeah, that's surprising. That is surprising. Hmm. Anyway, there you go. Was one of those was the um, the Eden Hazard, Chelsea Tottenham to win Leicester the Premier League as well, wasn't it? The Battle of the Bridge. Hmm. Excellent. So a Wesley Fofana potentially joining Thomas Tuchel's now goal leaking side, and a lot of suggestions that Pierre Emerick Aubameyang might also reinforce this uh, slightly stuttering team. Huh. That's probably for all your head scratching about it. It's probably a necessary thing. That where are the goals coming from at the moment for Chelsea? Yeah, it's true, but it's. I mean, they have already spent 180 million pounds this summer, and Wesley Fofana will take that to 260 million, and then it's it's a lot of money for a team that 18 more than 18 months into Tuchel's reign. I know they've lost a few this summer. But we don't quite know what they are. It does seem strange to try and build this attack around these fluid forwards and bring in Raheem Sterling, and then with two weeks to go, go for the player that Arsenal the striker that Arsenal were basically happy to pay off to leave the club to go to Barcelona. It seems a slightly... You sort of think, well, why did you not just buy Gabriel Jesus from Manchester City rather than Raheem yeah. Sterling if that was the plan? But anyway. Fair enough, fair enough. They also need a new plane, as Thomas Tuchel was pointing out post-game. All right, well, that was what Chelsea got up to and what Leeds got up to with them. Uh, Chelsea's neighbours and top four rivals Arsenal and Spurs both winning meantime this week. Uh, Spurs, a slightly forgettable 1-0 win over Wolves. Arsenal, meanwhile, continuing their perfect start away at Bournemouth. Jeepers Christ. About 20 minutes solid and they get to the end and they go, Saliba, and you think, great, OK, point made. But no, here it comes again. And then the second half starts and they finally quieted down. He goes and scores and off we go again. I mean, it is a classic chant that in the sense that Obviously, William Saliba has made a, a, an impressive start to life at Arsenal, but he has only played three matches. And by the time they, they started up the chant, he wasn't even halfway through his, his third match. But that, that is the, um, one of the kind of mysterious aspects of, of, of English football chants in that you know, they don't always necessarily go to players who, who deserve them. You know, mm. there, are, there are players who, who have had fantastic careers, who have really profound attachments to certain clubs who just who were never celebrated in song because their name didn't scan particularly well or because their you know that the songwriters within their club's fan base weren't particularly inspired during their time at the club and then you get a guy like Saliba who who has his own chant after after two and a half matches but that said um, you know he's obviously made uh, an absolutely flying start to life with Arsenal um, and for a guy who'd only scored one goal before and his entire professional career to take that chance the way he did with his left foot first time from the edge of the box uh, was uh, was as yeah as unexpected as it was impressive. Mm. He also completed one hundred percent of his seventy five passes. A fantastic stuff, Benji. What's your favourite West Ham chant? And how how so, deserving uh, on a, is on it? On a similar, f- well, this is it. It made me think of um, whoa. Arthur Masuaku, oh, oh, he's better than Lukaku, oh, he never gives the ball away. Ironically, he always gave the ball away. He, he, was a not, he was a bad footballer in possession. But yeah, that's a, that's a West Ham random footballer love one, yeah. I feel like Arsenal have, have got some decent chance as well because right. there's, the, there's the Sacco and Emil Smith-Rowe one. And I've often felt uh, that Arsenal are a club who 
have quite a lot of lame chants, like the Patrick lame. Vieira chant. He came from Senegal to play for Arsenal. Is one of the worst <laughs> chants I think that you know that I've ever heard. So there is, I think, there is a sense of kind of you know the universe writing itself with Arsenal coming up with some catchy, decent chants for a change. Daniel, what's Forrest's best player chant? This is this is also this is a joke, but it's also true. All of our players are new, so it's quite. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's actually quite hard to think of right. a new one. <laughs> okay. um, we used, when Joe Lolly was good. We had ain't nobody like Joe Lolly, which nice. similarly to the Saliba one would go on for ten, fifteen minutes at a time. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, Saliba uh, doing the business. Arsenal's own personal Jesus, also looking like a transformative signing. But perhaps the most important addition of all, could it be that fellow Zinchenko? He looks made for Mikel Arteta's Arsenal. I know there's a bit of a, a kind of slightly lazy comparison with just the kind of mini pet thing with Arteta, given the, the, the work under him. But it, it does look for both Jesus and Zinchenko that this is much more of a, a sideward step than a kind of leap into the unknown for those two players. They, they seem to know exactly their role. Um, Zinchenko as at City, seems to be almost playing sort of two or three different roles where he'll tuck in if he needs to, he'll he'll really surge on if he needs to, and he'll kind of just play as a regulation left-back if he needs to, and he can play in central midfield. He's sort of doing them all at the same time in that, almost like that Cancelo hybrid role. Um, I mean, it's, it's Jesus for me. You look at Lacazette completed 19 dribbles last season as this kind of very perfunctory, basically static centre forward and Jesus has already completed 11 this season He's that, that movement for the first goal was pretty astonishing really mm. and it means that players like Martin Erdegaard can get into the box and the way Erdegaard appeared in space in the box on Saturday reminded me of another City player of Il- Ilkay Gundogan the way he just kind of ghosts forward without anyone seeming to notice and then suddenly is in a position to take a first time shot that you didn't even expect and, and score he's going to be a revelation this season. I know he, he was good last season and he's the new captain, so there's no doubt about his place in the team, but he, he could be an absolute revelation. In the same way Gundogan was when I think he scored 12 league goals a couple of years ago. This might be unfair, but I would go so far as to say that what Jesus did in the build-up to Arsenal's first goal was more exciting than anything he ever did in the <laughs> Manchester City shirt. Fair enough, Tom. Fair enough. As for Bournemouth who Arsenal fans briefly broke off the uh, tequila chant to serenade uh, with uh, you're going down with United. Uh, They do have a tough start to the season. Uh, They're going to be at Anfield next Saturday. Mm. Spurs won a win over Wolves. Wolves' new signings looking good, but (laughs) the XG of 0.6 from 20 shots tells a pretty damning story about the ongoing issues with actually scoring at Wolves. As for Spurs, I'm beaten in nine league matches. Benji, does your Uncle Jeff, does he sanction the use of his coefficient for other clubs or just the Hammers? He, w- he won't be happy about it, but, I mean, go ahead. Uh, well, uh, the three fixtures Spurs have had so far were all games they lost last season, so they're seven points better off. I love that. Tom, you Ouch. were waggling a finger. Yeah, just very briefly on Wolves, um, with... Uh, their two uh, latest Portuguese signings mm. um, on the pitch at kickoff. They had seven Portuguese players in their starting eleven at Tottenham. Um, and just by way of comparison, 
that is more than Porto and Sporting had <laughs> in their respective <laughs> starting 11s when they faced off uh, in the Portuguese league on Saturday. So Wolves are officially even more Portuguese uh, than two of the three biggest clubs in Portugal. I didn't check for Benfica, but I wouldn't be surprised if it was the same for them as well. Yeah, you'd think the front six for Wolves and the keeper... All Portuguese. Wouldn't it be, imagine watching a Liga Nos game and the front six were all English. Wouldn't that be amazing? Other thing to say on Wolves, which is slightly worrying if you're a Wolves supporter, is that it sounds like Arsenal, for the athletic reporting, seriously interested in Pedro Neto, which is kind of a natural progression at Wolves. You have to accept that if, if Uncle George is going to provide you with the players, then he might also make promises to the, to the players that when a bigger club comes in for them, they are allowed to leave. Um, but it's not a good time for Wolves to be losing, who I think is probably their best attacking player, given, as you say, 20 shots. I think they've not scored in their last 40 shots, so wow. it's not ideal. The Uncle George factor, there for you. <laughs> OK, well, plenty of other games to discuss. We'll have a romp through them next. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. 22nd of August today, as we record this. Do you know what that's the anniversary of? It's the first ever match of the day. Back on 22nd of August, 1964, match of the day. And it literally was one match. Only one match was shown. Highlights of Liverpool against Arsenal. Curiously, this was on BBC Two. Uh, which was only available in London. So there were actually twice as many people at the game than there were viewing at home in far away 1964. Crikey. Match of the day is, Benji, the longest-running football programme in the world, despite the fact that in 1965 several clubs tried to ban the show, fearing that regular TV coverage would only harm their gate receipts. Hmm. BBC got around this by promising not to say which game they were going to show until after the matches had finished. Brilliant. It also features one of the most popular theme songs in British culture, I would say. Uh, although not so popular that they didn't try rewriting it in 1990, thus. I worry that one day they'll change the Match of the Day theme song. I mean... Hopefully Tom's about to sound won't. 70 years old now. So you could say it'll be some drum and bass. <laughs> but I just I like I like the fact that it's that it's it's still the same. It's yeah, I mean you have to keep thing. it now, surely. Right. In my in my head over the years I occasionally sing Match the Day to the tune of Home and Away. So Hold oh. me in your own Match of the Day. Just putting it Kind of works. I've heard more sure. of Benji's singing voice on this show than I <laughs> thought I would when I logged on. There you go. Match of the day, everybody. Uh, rest of the games in the Premier League. <sighs> West Ham, the only team so far to have lost all three matches, went and uh, tumbled 2-0 at home to Brighton. Leicester, also in the bottom three, are they in even more trouble than the Hammers? There was loads of fun at Fulham-Brentford. What about Saints' comeback win at the King Power? And what about Palace and their comeback against Aston Villa? What do you want to talk about here? Benji, it's West Ham Brighton, isn't it? Uh, just to correct you, James, we haven't lost all of our games. I don't know if you've heard of a team called FC Viborg, but actually we <laughs> saw them off quite convincingly. Um, yeah, 
just to start, to start with, Brighton were superb. I think this is going to keep coming up in the pod this year. Like they, were, they were better than us in every area, didn't give us any space. Um, their defence was tough as guts. I think Adam Webster, is. there's this little tier of sort of second-order Premier League centre-backs alongside uh, Nathan Collins, I think Anderson at Palace, Salisu. They're like really good up-and-coming youngish centre-backs that I sort of presume that Man United will sign at some stage and ruin. Um, but he was brilliant. Um, and and they're, they're a team that's sort of absolutely more than the sum of their parts, but there were moments of proper individual quality. Pascal Gross's round-the-corner pass for Trossard was brilliant. So, yeah, listen, you know, kudos to Brighton. They, we've never beaten them in the Premier League, mm. and this was about as good as, as good as I've seen them. And we were, oh, yeah, yeah it's a bit, a bit, I don't think there's any, I don't think it's time to panic yet at West Ham, but there's quite a few little bits of staleness. Oh, interesting. The Hammers are the only club in English league football, all of it, Yet to score a goal this is not counting your game uh, with Viborg. Which which area are you most concerned about? Which area of staleness is, is most making red lights pop on your dashboard? Well, I mean, there's a few. I think our fullbacks are on their way down, Chriswell and, and, and Soufal. I, th- I think you can't have top eight ambitions without really top draw fullbacks in, in the Premier League. Um, and actually, I think Suchek is becoming a, a bit of a problem. Like He's very game he throws himself at everything. He always ends up getting like kicked in the face and stuff like that, which is very endearing. But like, I, I think his big season a few years ago, like he significantly exceeded his his ex talent. I think in, in in that in that in that season, and we need we now need someone in the middle that can actually hold the ball and pass it because Lanzini is also going a bit stale. Rice has started slowly. Like, I, part of me is wondering if he's already slightly pulling his punches ahead of the World Cup because it's not like he needs to play for his position he's going to start every single game and the worst thing that could possibly happen is get injured now so yeah I would say we need a, a few more reinforcements and Tilo Kira I've got I've got um, I'm going to sound a bit mad here uh, but he, he seems to be <laughs> Tilo and uh, he he seems to be a, a card-carrying member of the Lisandro Martinez uncomfortably short for a Premier League centre-back club so on his Wikipedia page, it says he's six foot one, right? He is not six foot one. Like he must have been standing on his tippy toes or something when the Wikipedia measuring people came round. Like, and, like genuinely, if you see him next to Declan Rice, who is six foot one, and he's a lot taller than him. And I, I've gone down a rabbit hole here and, and sort of found myself looking at squad pictures of him standing next to Edison Cavani, who's six foot, um, and he's definitely taller than Tilo Kerr. So I sort of, can we ask Rafa Honigstein the next time he's hanging out with him? Mm-hmm. to take a, a tape measure because I feel like we've been missold here um, and he obviously gave away the, 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 the foul for the penalty so um, mm. yeah Tilo Kerr is, 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 uh, is he's mugged us all off you've Kera. probably met him haven't you Tom? I've, I haven't met him but I've watched him a bit he had a, he had a really puzzling time at PSG um, who signed him from Schalke in 2018 um, and he was one of the full guys in uh, that humiliating PSG Champions League elimination by Man United um, when Rashford scored the, the winning penalty in stoppage time. You know, he was sort of signed to a not inconsiderable degree of fanfare as this sort of up and coming young, very versatile German defender. Um, never succeeded in nailing down a first team place. And then about halfway through. The season before last, there were these stories coming out of PSG that he'd had some kind of crisis of confidence so profound 
that his teammates had kind of gone to the manager and, and begged him never to select Kara again. Um, and he shrank, and he shrank because of it. And, and then he, he shrank. He was so, yeah, he was so sort of um, that yeah, affected it. by that, that that he lost he lost about three or four inches. Um, but in terms of like the, the new signings, I suppose one thing you would say for West Ham is that you know you looked at the bench yesterday, and Jean-Lucas Gamak is there, and Maxwell Corne is there. You've got Flynn Downs as well. Obviously, Naifa Guerra is unfortunately out injured. But I, you kind of feel like the new blood is there at West Ham, but. Perhaps it, it needs to be kind of, you know, sort of poured into the team slightly more quickly than than you know than anyone realised before the season began. Sounds mm. like Kerr one of those players who's going to do really well out of his manager not bothering to remember his name or calling him <laughs> out as the reason they lost his the first match he played. Yeah. Uh, okay. Also this weekend, stirring stuff as we mentioned between Fulham and Brentford three two. How much trouble? are Leicester in. They went a goal up against Saints. Saints came back and took their first victory in nine matches. Luis Voce, or Vos, says, are Leicester in relegation trouble? They're in the bottom three right now. And does Rodgers last? What do you think? And feel free to throw a bit of love Saints way in, in the midst of all of this. Yeah, I, I, th- there's clearly a, a broken mood at the club at the moment. Brendan Rodgers spoke in midweek and intimated that he'd been promised signings or promised change that he'd asked for in as early as February and that when he came back after the summer break things had kind of changed and some of that's necessary because the wage bill is is massive it's the seventh highest wage bill in the Premier League um, they've lost quite a lot of money in each of the last two years of accounts I suspect that the owners firms have, have suffered during Covid as well so there is a lot of uncertainty there but their inability to sell players at a highest price is, is what's what's basically catching them because everybody knows that Yuri Tielemans wants to leave and Wesley Fofana wants to leave. So there's no, there's no huge benefit unless you really need them now in not waiting till the final days of the window when you hope you can get them cheap, a little bit cheaper because you know, they both stated their ambitions to leave so much that neither of them were in the team on Saturday. That sends mm. such a bad message to supporters when you've got two key players who aren't in the team because they want to leave. And, and Rogers says their their minds aren't right. That's really and it's it's inadvertently for Rogers damning on him because it suggests that he's been unable to, you know, bring them into the squad and keep everyone's mind focused on the game. Mm. As for his opposite number, Ruff Hasenhuttle, intriguing to see him abandoning at last his lucky uh, waistcoat and suit combo thing. He went with a casual sportswear attire and was rewarded with a fat three points. Uh, meanwhile, also coming from behind, Palace. Palace, who went a goal down to Villa and then roared back. Benji, welcome Anderson. Well, he's, you know, he's only 26. In my mind, he was like a sort of 34-year-old grizzled sort of striker winder-upper. But yeah, he's only 26 and he looks, he looks sort of better and better. The other thing from this game that stood out, you know, Zaha has gone straight into the lead as the um, most fouled player in the league which is a, a consistent accolade for him. So in five of the last eight Premier League seasons, he's been the most fouled player in the league, which sort of makes me see him in a different light. I've always found him to be a bit of a d- really. Like, you know, he's always moaning and he's, he's always having a go at the ref. But do you know what? Fair enough, Wilfred, if he's getting kicked left, right and centre. So, yeah. And he's looking brilliant. He started amazing, mm. isn't he? Yeah. And that third Palace goal was an absolute beauty. Tyrick Mitchell, little one-two with Zaha. And then the cross from the left that... Jean-Philippe Mateta flings himself out. There's something about a left-wing cross. I guess maybe are they 
Are they more rare than right? Or like a, specifically a left-footed left-wing cross feel like they're slightly rarer than a right-footed right-wing cross? Um, aesthetically, slightly more satisfying. Mitchell must have a, a shot at the World Cup. You know, I know he has been called up by Gareth Southgate, but you know, Luke Shaw is not playing brilliantly at Manchester United and he looks phenomenal at 22, Mitchell. The, the ability to be solid defensively, but also, as you say, kind of overlap Zaha for the crosses into the box. Looks a brilliant, brilliant player. I hope he stays at Palace and doesn't make the, that Wan-Bissaka mistake of the big club move very early. Unless he goes to a big club, actually know what they're doing. True, um, true. There are available. They are available. They do exist. <laughs> Palace next weekend will be away to ooh, Man City, where of course they won last season. Fulham Benji will be taking on league-leading Arsenal. They look great. Andreas Pereira, I think, deserves being picked out. He seems to be a completely different player to the version that we saw at United. It was just a bit mediocre, wasn't he? Maybe I'm misremembering that. And his set pieces were brilliant. He was a sort of a samba James Ward-Prowse. Set set up a bunch of chances from corners, including the Palinha goal. Nearly scored a free kick too. I actually wonder if he's a late shout for the Brazil World Cup squad because I think Coutinho was in the last uh, Brazil squad and Pereira looks like a better, younger version at the moment anyway. Fulham continuing their excellent start to the season under Marco Silva. The other game this weekend was Saturday's Everton won Nottingham Forest won. A fitting way to conclude, Daniel. Everton, who've snatched a goal at the death. Lovely goal as well, Jordan Pickford. Straight up to Damari Gray to avoid losing their third successive game. Yeah, I am I am slightly worried about Forest. Um, firstly, because they're, they're conceding an awful lot of shots. I think Norwich conceded the most last season, 16 and a half a game, and Forest are above 20 a game at the moment having played, you know, decent-ish teams, but teams that haven't really started the season that well, uh, Newcastle aside. But, um, yeah, also on Sunday night, the, the owner went on, on Greek TV and said, we need to be beating Everton. They weren't in a good place. Things will improve over the next few games, I'm sure. I mean, Forest have got Spurs and Man City away the next two games. So uh, I, I am slightly worried that there's a typical panic coming if Forest are in the relegation zone in if Forest are 18th in, when we break the World Cup, that is more than good enough given the amount of change and the opportunity to have a second pre-season. But I suspect if Angelos Marinakis will not see it that way. Mm-hmm. Ominous. All right, then. A point apiece for Everton and Forest, whose goal came from uh, Wales starlet Brennan Johnson. Yeah, I mean, as you know, as Daniel will know, Brennan Johnson is uh, a supremely talented young attacking player who is, is, is I think, probably the... The, the young Welsh player for whom people have the, the highest hopes uh, currently. And if you go back to the most recent set of international fixtures in, in June uh, in the Nations League, he scored against Belgium, scored against the Netherlands and is, is really sort of like hammering on the door uh, for a place in the Wales team. Um, and if, yeah, if he, if he carries on scoring the Premier League, by the time the World Cup comes around, he, he could well be in the, um, in the starting eleven. He's also got Nico Williams playing behind him, who he obviously knows in the Wales team and the Wales age group teams because they're a similar age, who's been Forrest's best outfield player so far this season like bombing down the right he's had eight shots I think so he's really doing that Jed Spence role that Forrest need him to do that that is still the best element of Forrest's team hmm. and Wayne Hennessy on the bench of course little little Welsh mafia taking root <laughs> beside the Trent very nice next up for Forrest 
as mentioned, is a visit from the Tottenham Hotspur. But before that, they've got Grimsby, a visit to Grimsby in the League Cup, second round of which will be taking place midweek. I imagine that will be dominating our thoughts on Thursday when the totally returns. Of course, before that, Tuesday is our Euro show with, I imagine, a bit of reaction, depending on whether it's worth it, uh, to Man United Liverpool this Monday night. That brings us to the end of this show, though. So many, many thanks to Benji Lanyardo, to Daniel Story, to Tom Williams, safe return from Paris, Tom, and to producer Charlie, and to you, listener. Have a great week. Uh, we'll be there at various points throughout it. Do join us for another. From all of us here, it's goodbye. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Listen ad-free on The Athletic app and discover bonus content by following The Athletic UK Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts. Find out the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Athletic.